Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, the ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. May words of life lead us to words of life. Please take a seat. My name is Podrick, I'm a friend of Scott's, and it's been lovely to be here. Um, thank you very much for the opportunity to be with you for the last number of days. And um, hello to you all, the holy and the unholy in all of you. Um, the reading today is a long one from uh, the Gospel of John, about a man born blind, and it's very rich in interpersonal dynamics, this, this reading. Um, us and them play out the whole way throughout it. And where I'll go with this is that at the heart of this text is a story of a man who wasn't believed. Um, people deny that he is who he is. They deny that he's experienced what he's experienced. And they deny that he's telling them the truth and deny that he's the author of what's happened to him. They keep on asking him to fit into the landscape of belonging that they put across. And his body, his experience, everything that's happened to him is a site of controversy rather than wonder. And this um, is an interesting indication about what can happen sometimes when an experience occurs that other people do not wish to make space for. Um, to begin, though, I want a little aside about a politics and a theology of disability. I'm not going to spend too much on that because this is not a good text to turn to, to look at um, for anything that might be called a theology of disability. The disciples' initial question about, you know, who sinned, him or his parents, that he's born blind, is only mildly elevated when Jesus gives an equally awkward answer where he says, oh no, he was born blind so that God's glory could be seen. Like, none of that's good news if you're blind, you know, in terms of that experience. Um, I asked uh, a friend, Dave, who is blind, what he thinks of this text and lots of the texts that you find in religious material about blindness. And he said the following thing, don't use my impairment as a metaphor for stupidity. And often that is how blind characters are caricatured in lots of literature, not just biblical literature, where there's the imagination that um, darkness or not being able to see somehow means not being able to understand or perceive or come to any terms like that. So I kind of want to name that to put it to the side because I am... Um, I don't think that this is a text that is in any way useful for thinking about blindness. <laughs> um, there's characters in this text, interesting one. There's the man, of course, we don't know his name. There's the disciples of Jesus. There's Jesus of Nazareth. There's the neighbors, they're mentioned briefly. There's the authorities, and then there's the parents of the man as well. And one of the things we see in this text is a struggle to believe. What does it mean to believe someone? Like if we were all suddenly to be stuck inside here for the next week and had to come up with interesting questions to talk to each other about while we got, while we got through the time. A question we could ask each other would be, when was the time you weren't believed? And what was it like when you finally were? Where did you register that? Where is the experience of belief in your body? What we see in the context of this text is that the struggle to be believed comes alongside with profound threat. And there can be all kinds of ways where being believed comes with um, 
who's in and who's out. And in situations of conflict, often communities of people separate themselves. You're perfectly aware that in situations of conflict that you can tolerate, you can cope with all kinds of diversities in your own family or your, friend, or your friendship group about who thinks this, who thinks that, who likes this, who likes that. But when conflict becomes escalated very quickly, there might be one question as to are you on this side or that side? And that escalation can really fail the human imagination, which is the very thing you want to sustain you afterwards. I'm going to look at the text through two lenses. The first one is some of the questions in the text. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? That's an early question in this one. And then, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? That's a question. He kept saying, I am the man. But they kept on saying to him, then how are your eyes opened? Do you know? They're kind of saying to him, you shouldn't be who you are because of what's happened. You shouldn't be. And then they said to him, where is he? And then the Pharisees say, how can a man who is a sinner perform such signs? And the people are divided. And they say to him, what do you say about him? And then they find the parents. I always feel sorry for the parents. And they say, is this your son? How does he now see? And then later on, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? Here's another question where the man then is answering back. He's saying, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? What a great question. What is the purpose of repetition doing here? When you heard it clearly the first time, what's going to happen the second time? And then even more, this almost naive question that the man asks, do you want to become his disciples? <laughs> I was about to swear, I'm not going to do it. Um, uh, and then uh, they say to him, you were born entirely of sins. Are you trying to teach us? That's not a question, really. That's a trap. And so you see the ways in which questions are being used as traps the whole way throughout this. You do this too. I know you do. Any of you who were parents, and if you had children who lived at home, and if they came home after curfew, you might have said something like, what time do you call this? <laughs> and if they answered five past 12, um, you would have said, don't be cheeky, because the answer to the question is not the question that's being asked. So we know this, nice and easy. It can be funny, it can be threatening, a question isn't necessarily a question. A question can sometimes be a statement or a trap or an accusation or an openness to wonder. We don't know. But in situations of conflict, questions, it can be hard to remind yourself to say, what is my actual question? What do I really want to know? And here's the thing about the vulnerability of a question. If you're asking a serious question, it means that you don't know the answer. And if you feel like you know the answer, well, then it's not a question, it's a trap. So there is a serious question to be asked in these, in these circumstances. And it asks you to face what it is you know you don't know. Anything other than that is probably a failure of the imagination. We see in this text a struggle to believe and a way within which a community orients itself based on not believing the body, the story, the personhood of somebody who's in front of them. I can't remember which, which way my pages go. I was about to turn back to page one. Another way of looking at the, uh, the, the dynamics of this text is to look at the pronouns in it. Me, you, we, he, she, they, us. Um, the way that they all work in this text. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. We know. And that implies if you don't know the man is a sinner, well then, sorry to tell you, you're not one of us. 
And then he answered them, I've told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples? So here there's invitation. And then they reviled him, saying, you are his disciples, but we are disciples over here. We know that God has spoken this way. As for this man, we don't know where he comes from. All these borders being erected through the we, you, he, the, she, he, they, she, all of them. Um, you were born entirely of sins. And then when the poor parents are brought in and they're asked, is this your son? Um, condemnation by association. Taint by being alongside. And then them, just listen to them. Ask him. He'll speak for himself. They understand exactly what's going on. This threat. They know. They want to belong. And they want to, on the one hand, own him. But not so much that they're going to be expelled. And possibly for good reason. I don't want to condemn them. You just see the ways within which close bonds can sometimes be put under threat when these dynamics of threatening questions and the power in pronouns of association becomes evident. So you see how the blind man, when he responds, the man formerly blind, is trying to build bridges. He's saying, look at this amazement. Look at this wonder. Do you want to believe in this too? Who is it? He doesn't know because he hasn't seen the one who's done it because you know, he had to go off and wash his eyes. And so when they say to him, who did it? He's like, I actually don't know, but what I know is I can see. Are you interested in seeing too? And they're like, no, no. <laughs> Under no circumstances. You can't see at all. Here's what we see. And his questions are seeking to build alliances and allegiances and their questions are seeking to delineate into who's in the right group and who's in the wrong group. The threat to the poor parents I find very sad uh, and very true over and over again. This whole text is about a person whose experience in life is not, is not being believed. That has happened to you, whether you've been on one side of it or another. Whether you've been the one who has refused to believe the person in front of you who says to you, I am telling you something true about myself and I'm inviting you into the truth of this and, so, and you might go, it's not true. What's happening there? I won't believe you. We think this, you think that. These powerful dynamics of pronouns that occur. And he's being, we are, think, I think, being invited into pushing and pulling the pronouns we use in questions as well as then, the plural pronouns especially, um, as well as then asking what is the power underneath our questions. I want to say that this text itself is an indication of the very thing that it's trying to highlight. You hear over and over in the text, the Jews, the Jews, the Jews. This is the Gospel of John, the latest of the four Gospels of the, of the canonical tradition, maybe written about 90, 95, possibly even as late as 100. And in that time, the, the conflict between what had hitherto been considered perhaps a small sect of the way of Jesus of Nazareth believing Jews, that really had begun to escalate into some kind of conflict. And you can see in this text, in the Gospel of John, you can see a profound way within which the Jews are caricatured in a way that has been used century after century after century in pogroms. So this text that is so intelligent about the dynamics of us and them and the dynamics of questions caricatures Pharisees in a way that is profoundly unhelpful and has had deathly impact in the reading and application of that text. So even the very thing that we say is the question we want to ask itself must be put under question. The possibility 
of self-appointed border markers and then self-appointed border police about who should and shouldn't belong, that is present to us all, even the righteous, and must always have our attention. These texts is an invitation and a challenge over and over to ask ourselves questions about questions. Who is it that sets themselves up? Who asks questions that are just elegantly phrased traps? Who is it that's free to speak the truth? Who is it that's too frightened to tell the truth and too threatened? What is it that people don't want to believe? What is it I don't want to believe? What do I know I don't know? What do I know? What questions am I not willing to ask myself in public? What am I not willing to admit? These are invitations into these questions. How is it that the borders that I've set up that keep some people out help me feel like I belong, even at the expense of other people in front of me saying, believe the truth? I finish with a prayer, a collect. God of groups, you are within and beyond all our borders, our names for you, our words about you, our gatherings and stories. We seek to praise, but sometimes we imprison. May we always be curious about what is beyond our borders, going there gently, knowing you have always been there. We ask this because we know that you are within and beyond all our stories. Amen. Dialogue is a podcast of Calvary's Lenten preaching series, a 100-year-old tradition that invites wise and inspiring speakers into our pulpit during the season of Lent. Dialogue is produced by Noah Glenn of Perpetual Motion. Our theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about the home of dialogue in the Lenten preaching series, Calvary Episcopal Church is an eclectic bunch of Christian people. We don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into a beloved community marked by unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to Dialogue at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.